Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Chris Wilson. Chris is an Associate Professor and Director of Clinical Education at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, and was the Founding Residency Program Director for Beaumont Health Oncology Residency. Today we discuss the difference between hospice and palliative care, oncology rehab, and the hockey hat trick. Let's welcome our guest. All right, everyone, let me introduce our guest, Chris Wilson. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be here, guys. This is really exciting. Topic I love talking about. Leo, I feel like we get a lot of people who also work in clinical education. Have you noticed that? Yeah, <laughs> which is great because for me, this is just an opportunity just to pick their brains about some of their teaching points and, uh, you know, being able to talk about, you know, just management of students and how we can make the best clinical experience for students. Now, one thing about students, I doubt they ever think about physical therapy and its relation to A, oncology and B, palliative care. Now, I'll tell you my experience with new grads is usually when they're looking for the new orders and maybe there's an order and they, as they're going through the chart review, as they're looking up a patient, they say, oh, this patient's going on, uh, on, on hospice, palliative care. I don't need to work with this patient. I'm going to go see other priority patients. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. Now, before I give my kind of thought process for this and my opinion, let me pass the mic to Chris. Chris. Oh, and Leo, you know I have opinions. Too, so <laughs> yes, we're definitely, definitely going to get to that. Yes. Fantastic. I'd love to hear both of your perspectives. So Chris, yeah, no, I think the nail right on the head, Leo, is that, um, you know, even, even experienced clinicians um, also have a lot of difficulty prioritizing a lot of these patients. And, and really, at least for acute care, palliative care, the nice thing is about palliative rehabilitation is one it really helps the patient. So it's the right thing to do to get them where they need to be. But two, it kind of also is nice for a lot of our managers and our um, C-suite executives, because they're the ones that are really wor- worried about things like hospital readmission and length of stay. And I can tell you that the palliative and hospice population, their length of stay is all over the map. It's not like knee replacements where you know, yeah, they're going to be in and out in three days. That's the average. I mean, it's, it's very, very wide with that patient population. So rehab, especially PT, really getting these folks at a place where they can be at home or at a location where they need to, you know, flourish with whatever capacity they have is a really important skill of a rehab therapist, making sure they, they get that discharge planning and they have the equipment and they know what they need to do to, to really make whatever time that they have left on this earth as best quality life as they can. Chris, I have a question. So I think the reason many therapists sometimes are like, oh, palliative care, I'm going to sign off. I'm finished seeing the patient. It's because they sometimes confuse it with the patient's dying or the patient's on hospice. But those are really two different things, right? Can you please explain to our listeners that maybe don't fully understand what is the difference between palliative care and hospice? No, I I think that's a great point, actually. And that really is one of the the first conversation points that we as therapists will get, because even with patients that don't necessarily have palliative care or hospice yet, you know, at some point their doctors are probably going to be talking to them about it. And we spend a lot of time with our patients. So inevitably they're going to ask us, my doctor said I should go on the palliative care. 
what does this mean? My doctor says I should go on hospice. What does this mean? So uh, really according to the Medicare hospice benefit, um, it is really two doctors have certified you with likelihood of less than six months to live. Hmm. And the confusing thing in acute care is the patient can be exactly the same as they were yesterday and they get quote unquote discharged from the hospital and automatically readmitted under a hospice benefit. So the, the confusing thing is, is a lot of times that discharges all of their therapy orders and all of their orders. So that's kind of where I started with this journey was I saw patients on hospice and they were, you know, active getting therapy, you know, their physical status was the same, their emotional status was the same, everything was the same, but they elected to go on hospice. And then basically their opportunity to work with therapy was arbitrarily discontinued. So, you know, and they really do focus on making the end of life as comfortable as possible, you know, providing really for that good death. But that seems always to be a little bit of an oxymoron term is that is good death. You know, if you watch action movies, you know, unless the enemy path dies from the good guy, there's no such thing as a good death. I think they call it like having dignity and dying, right? Yeah. really dignity and everyone kind of has something a little bit different and that is a conversation. So that's kind of really hospice. And then palliative care is a little bit bigger. Hospice is one part of palliative care, but palliative care really is holistic, multidisciplinary treatment. In the acute care setting, it's almost always a palliative care consult. So usually there's a palliative care physician, Oftentimes there's palliative care advanced practice practitioners, such as nurse practitioners or physician assistants who have specialization. And then almost always they'll also loop in a social worker and a pastoral care chaplain. And those folks are really designed to focus on expert symptom management, anticipating things. I think that's one of the biggest skills of palliative care practitioners, especially for therapists, anticipating what's coming and mitigating it before it happens. And then the last thing is, is really aligning all medical care with what the patient's goals are. Mm-hmm. And that's something that really is, should be the common theme. Everything that we're doing in the healthcare system is, is this aligning with the patient's goals of care? So that's kind of the, the broad 30,000 foot difference between hospice and value. So it sounds like, and one, one, like, one way I like to always explain it is, Palliative care is not hospice, but hospice is palliative care, like part of palliative care, right? Like a small little subunit of it. But I love, I love, love, love palliative care. And I love how you explained how we focus on the patient's goals, right? But like, to me, shouldn't I be doing that all the time anyway, right? Anyway, but anyway, I'm just, as my little, get on my soapbox, I'm gonna get back off now. But I also think palliative care, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is way underutilized. Yes. Like, because really all it means is like we've exhausted, like, you know, different medical treatments we could potentially try. However, you're not dying, right? We want you to be comfortable. We want your symptoms to be under control. So, like, why don't we have palliative care for more people, Chris? Yeah, and it is, it is getting better. So there's an organization called the Center to Advance Palliative Care. And they've really, they have a graph every year. And this graph is consistently going up with regard to some level of palliative care in the healthcare system. Now, I think some of the limitations with it, unfortunately, is, is even just that confusion amongst healthcare providers too. You know, we don't still understand some of the inherent benefit. And some of the stuff that I really like about Center to Advance Palliative Care is they also have the 
return on investment in palliative care services. It's really a big part of palliative care, which is a little bit confusing, is reducing unwarranted healthcare provision. So if someone, and which is always a little bit confusing for the therapist, because, you know, sometimes they'll be making medical decisions that we may not necessarily be comfortable with. You know, the acute care cliche is we're terrified of DVT, you know, and if a patient is, you know, electing not to have aggressive medical services, such as things like certain medications, certain surgeries, maybe anticoagulants because of risk, you know, the, the doctor might say, oh yeah, there is swelling, a new swelling in that leg. But if I do find a DVT, I'm not going to do anything about it. So why should I look for it? Which is a little bit scary to therapists. And that's really yeah, where- that's very different. It is. And that's yeah. really where as therapists, we need to have close communication with the palliative care team. They love working with us, I can tell you. Um, if you have not met your palliative care practitioner at your healthcare system, my goodness, reach out to them as soon as possible and they will be your new best friend. And I think the other part of that is, is that you can also be a conduit for referrals. Mm -hmm. And well, where I practice in acute care, we have a really, really good relationship. And basically, if we find a patient who is not in palliative care, but really is a candidate, we basically can just call up or text the palliative care team and say, hey, I'm concerned about Mrs. So-and-so in room whatever. Can you see if she is appropriate for palliative care consult? And they take it from there. And then vice versa, they'll do the same thing for us saying, hey, you know, there's a patient who is on palliative care. Their physical status is declining or their strength is weakening or they're having pain, whatever stuff that we usually work with. Can you guys come in and see them? And of course, we love seeing them earlier because usually we get those calls at the 11th hour, like, hey, they're being discharged today. They got, you know, large extremity paralysis and they need a wheelchair and they need X, Y, and Z training and oil lift training. And now we're scrambling like crazy people with chickens with our heads Chris, cut off. This is fascinating to me because, I mean, I, I tend to work with patients with heart failure. Like I work in the cardiology service most of the time. And I, I feel like, I love that you do that. I love that you have this relationship mm -hmm. with your palliative care team. I know my palliative care team, but I feel like it's a little weird sometimes to say, hey, could you bring in palliative care? Because at the same time, the doctors are going, well, we want to give this talk about heart transplant and talk, talk about LVAD. And like, and, and I know the patient doesn't want all of those things. And then I also feel like I'm stepping on toes sometimes to say like, hey, doctor, Forget all those big surgeries that you're recommending. Let's talk about palliative care because I feel like they almost get offended by it. I agree. Like, yeah. So so how do we have those conversations when we're kind of like, feel like we're walking on eggshells? That's a great point, Ashley. That's great. That's how do you even start that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And that is where, that is definitely a delicate balance. And in oncology, it's a little bit more accepted, um, you know, but when you're talking about cardiac, pulmonary, renal failure, palliative care isn't quite as integrated. And that's where there's almost always a palliative care physician on the team. So, you know, sometimes it is the us reaching out to the palliative care person and then the palliative care physician being the one to say, oh, I know this doctor, you know, they're a little bit leery about our service. Let me as quote unquote mm -hmm. here have a conversation with them. And the palliative care physicians are almost always um, helpful and eager to do that because they know kind of what to say. And I guess the big answer really is, why not both? Why can't they have an LDAD and have Love palliative that. care? So it really isn't someone for who's imminently dying. 
Right, because not all their symptoms are going to go away, right? They have surgery. <laughs> exactly. It's for anyone yeah. with a life-limiting or chronic condition. I had one patient who is still alive, and she had palliative care probably six years ago. She ended up having a major hemorrhagic stroke in her cerebellum, and they scooped out her cerebellum for in surgery. And basically, she had probably, you know, four months in the hospital between acute care and IPR. And she was consulted on palliative care, and they followed her the entire way not for like end of life support, but really the family was in crisis. The patient was in crisis. Yeah. Well, her occupation was gone. Her speech was changed. Her function was changed. And, and patients really can still get coping strategies. Can't they get all their medications? They can still come back into the hospital. Like there's right. no limits on that. Like there is with hospice, right? Like patients on hospice, I think aren't supposed to go to the hospital when they get ill. Right. Whereas patients on palliative care can get all the medicines. They can yeah. go they into can the have, hospital if they need to, right? Yeah, they can have surgery. They can have radiation oncology. They can have <laughs> chemotherapy. It's just really more supporting the whole person, which is exactly what you said before was yeah. we should really be doing that for everyone. So palliative care really is patient-centered care and goal-oriented care, which we really should be doing for everyone, whether you're, you know, going to eventually pass away from cancer. Or you're just having a very scary condition that's going to, you know, not necessarily go away. Um, and you need help with coping strategies and you need the support of an interdisciplinary team with that. I just had an Oprah Winfrey moment where I would be like, you get palliative care. You get palliative care. You get palliative care. I wanted to ask you, so what's, what's your origin story? How did you end up in both oncology and palliative care as an acute care therapist? Because again, I feel that in PT schools, that we really don't do a lot of time. We don't spend a lot of time teaching about palliative care or a lot of people that uh, graduate out of PT programs are not right away looking for this is exactly the type of setting that I want to work in. So I'd, I'd love to hear your origin story. Yeah. Sorry, um, Leo. Yeah. So I would really probably say when I started as a therapist at, at Core Beaumont, which is now Core Wealth, it was half inpatient, half outpatient. At some point, like the department split off, outpatient moved off site. So I had to kind of stick to inpatient. And I started kind of gravitating toward geriatrics. So I got board certified in geriatrics. And I'm one of those people, like, if I see something that we're not doing as well as a profession, I feel like I need to kind of fix it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a personality problem, um, but yeah. I'm trying to work through it. And have a terrible problem. <laughs> so, so yeah, so then I kind of started gravitating toward, you know, oncology because that was one part of geriatrics we were not doing well at all. And then from that standpoint, then I kind of saw palliative care that we weren't really doing well at all um, either. And one of the, the nice things is I have been a delegate for the Michigan chapter of the APTA for a long time, since like 2003. Um, now I get the connection. And, and then basically I had the opportunity to write motions. That's the fun thing about being a delegate. You get to kind of fix some of the things that are wrong with our profession. So back in way back in 2011, I wrote the APTA's position on palliative care and hospice and what we should be doing. And that, that position has really stood for this amount of time, really kind of adding resources, making sure that we're in the conversation and that we're understanding some of the, some of the billing nuances and really what's the same and what's different about our practice. Wow. Chris, I will say that through APTA, these, there's so many resources through these House of Delegates, these different documents that for all those clinical educators that are out there or just therapists that work within education, there's so many valuable documents that 
you know, I share with my students and they're, and they're priceless, right? Just what's the, what is our, what is APTA stance on different things like palliative care? Now, well, what's interesting too is that we as physical therapists, I feel that we've got very unique strategies and tools that we use when we bring to our patients. But what specifically as a acute care therapist, what value do we bring? And you had, you had alluded to this already, Chris, to a case or to a patient that requires palliative care. And you had mentioned predicting, kind of looking at the future, the needs. And so can you maybe talk a little bit about that? What, what value do we bring in specifically to a, a palliative care uh, case? Yeah. So I think one we have, I don't, you know, we're one of the best, if not the best professionals to be able to predict future function. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that is a little bit confusing for some quote unquote non-palliative aligned therapist is that we're used to patients continually improving. You know, the cliche is most patients are going to take them from a wheelchair to a walker, to a quad cane, to a standard cane, to no assisted device. In palliative care, oftentimes that is the opposite. We actually call that rehab in reverse. Mm. So providing rehab, but they're physically declining. So we, we want to provide durable medical equipment for their future and train them in it before they need it. And that's a very unique and challenging skill because it can be a little bit off-putting to a patient. If you have a patient who's using a cane right now and you want to teach them how to use a wheelchair or a walker, they might get a little bit upset. They're like, I don't need that yet. But I really kind of equate it very, very similar to, you know, it's a little bit gray outside in Detroit. I'm looking out my window and I think it's going to rain this afternoon. So I bring my umbrella because mm-hmm. otherwise I'm going to get stuck in the rain. Mm-hmm. So I kind of equate it to something like that. For the I people. love that analogy. When, it's, when, if you, when you notice out of the forecast, it's going to rain. You're probably going to want to bring an umbrella. Let's teach you how to use this wheelchair. We'll send you home with it. Great. If you never need it, wonderful. That is perfectly fine. Just put it in your closet. And now you, you kind of know that it's there mm-hmm. as a backup plan. But if mm-hmm. you do need it, you know, you'll be equipped and ready to use it. Just like if it starts raining and there's rain. Mm-hmm. Attention acute care members. The Bridge the Gap Conference is coming to Chicago, Illinois, May 3rd to 5th, 2024. The theme is translating evidence into acute care practice. The conference will be focused on bringing the science and evidence for physical therapy into acute care practice. The conference will be featured in stunning downtown Chicago at the Department of Physical Therapy and Human Movement Sciences, Feinberg School of Medicine, Northwestern University. Once again, May 3rd to 5th, 2024. The location is near the scenic shore of Lake Michigan and entertainment on the Magnificent Mile. If you are interested in submitting a poster for presentation or being a guest speaker, please contact our co-host Leo Argulis at the email listed in the show notes. And now back to the show. Okay, before we switch to oncology, because I do want to talk a little bit about oncology and the oncology residency. I have a hypothetical case story. Well, it's not hypothetical. This actually happened to me and I want to know how you would have handled it. Because I do think sometimes we're put in positions where we have to have difficult conversations with patients. So I was in a patient's room in the hospital. We were getting ready to do good old therapy, you know, getting ready to get up and move around and exercise. And, you know, the doctor, can I come in for a second? Sure. Come on in. You know, I have pretty good relationships with the doctors. I don't mind if they interject or sometimes they ask. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, of course. Come on in. 
he literally comes in, drops a bomb on this patient. Basically, within like one or two minutes, lets the patient know quickly that, hey, we've done all we can do. Basically tells the patient she's dying. Right. And then leaves. Oh. And I'm there to like pick up the mess, so to speak, right? And the patient's just deer in headlights. And now all of a sudden I'm like, well, I'm not going to so, but let's just get up and go for a walk, right? right? Like yeah. we need to talk about this. So how do you handle situations like that? Because I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced no. this. It is an unfortunate situation. And I think that's part of our, you know, the really why palliative care is necessary. I mean, really to provide having those difficult conversations. And the one thing I will say, um, you know, as Leo was talking to, we don't get a whole lot of palliative care and we don't get a lot of practice with having difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. But the good news is, is it is a skill that can be learned just yes. like any other skill. Some of us old timers learned it the old fashioned way by putting our foot in our mouths and realizing our foot doesn't taste very good sometimes. <laughs> but there are actually courses. Memorial Sloan Kettering has one that's a really, really good geriatric oncology communication course that's free. Vitaltalk.com is another really, really good resource. But I would probably say, you know, some of the things that I would, I totally agree with you that we need to make sure that we're not just saying, okay, keep going with your ankle pumps after that, because that's, you know, we're not reading the room as, as well as we should be. And probably the first thing that I always advise is really acknowledge the emotion. You know, mm -hmm. that must have been very, very difficult news for you to hear where you look like you're a little bit upset from that. You know, I think we should talk about this. And I will interject one point before I go on with that. Having some of those conversations, some therapists realize that or, or some people think that it's not necessarily a doable service. If you're not moving the patient, mm. it's not a doable procedure. But we're talking about things like how are they functioning for the future? What they're, where they envision themselves after they leave the hospital. If they don't, what do they envision their life to look like? And I oftentimes build that under self-care management training. Mm -hmm. You know, any part of a CPT code really is education. So as long as we're documenting it well, I've never had an issue with billing because again, that's always in the back of every therapist's mind. Oh crap, I have to have a conversation. This is not billable. Now I'm going to lose productivity. Absolutely. Yeah. I guarantee people think, yeah, people worry about that. Yeah. So, but, and that's what I'm encouraging is that sitting down and having these conversations, think creatively about how you can use the billing codes that you have available to you and use those. So the other things that I always want to have conversations with patients about or use terms such as I wish statements, those are also really, really good. You know, I wish the doctor brought better news for you, but let's talk about what yeah. this information might mean. Other things, certainly in that situation, you know, we need to kind of be the conduit. And that's where being a member of the interdisciplinary palliative team is so invaluable because you can call them on a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not the expert in the area. Certainly I can provide heartfelt conversations, but let's get a pastoral care chaplain. Yeah. Social worker in there and having those conversations repeatedly is going to be really what that patient needs in this moment because it's going to be such an emotional and fragile situation for for the therapist, for the patient, and for you as a therapist, we have to acknowledge this is this is a tough area for us sometimes as well. We need to kind of be aware of that. When it sounds like if it can something that can be learned, like this is something maybe we should be teaching students in school, and maybe something clinical instructors should be emphasizing when they have students in their clinic, and 
if nothing else, just to give them some of those back pocket phrases that you mentioned, like how helpful is that to say, I'm so sorry that happened or I wish blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And then also figuring out that the ones you don't, the other thing I learned is some of the things you don't say. The oh yeah. That's that probably even more helpful. It's very reflexive. And I still do it every once in a while. I'm like, I'm not Chris, you goofed up. So is it's okay. You know, somebody bumps their yeah. leg or, you know, somebody hurts their you know, kid skins, their knees, our reflex is, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. In this case, it's mm-hmm. not going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Instead of it's okay, I'm really trying to retrain myself, which is a constant battle for the past 20 years of saying something like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be here with you, or I'm going to be here for you. Love that. So whenever, my, on, whenever my brain wants to say it's okay, I try and stop it to say, you know, this is a difficult situation. No matter what happens, we're going to get through this together, or I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Well, it's like anytime somebody's going through something awful, right? Even if it's just in your personal life and it's not about like death and dying, you don't want somebody to just be like, oh, they just told me something really awful and you're really upset, but let's go like just do something and forget about it. Like you want somebody to be like, that really stinks. That's mm-hmm. awful. Yeah. So that's a great point. And they get it. That's that's always kind of the other cliche is if you really want to tick off a person who's angry, tell them to calm down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so true you know i think i think part of it too is just we as 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 individuals and as human beings just being comfortable with these difficult conversations is just taking pause just to understand the humanity and and there is still a relationship and it's not it it alters a little bit again this is why i love what we do in acute care is you know first there's a relationship of i'm the therapist and you're the patient and there's a little bit of a power dynamic but after a patient gets this bad you know it has bad news like this now it's like human being to human being. Let's just, let me just reach out to you and, and, and give you a piece of human, my humanity and just say like, that was really tough news. And, and just being comfortable in that sense. I will say that as a, as a new grad, I had a hard time like working in the critical care floors and it took years of maturity and, and years of working with different types of patients and different scenarios. But what's so good is that like, just like you said, Chris, it can be learned and it needs to be practiced. And over time you get better at it. I feel that students right now, you know, a lot of students need help with just basic communication, mm-hmm. but to throw them into the fire and just say like, Hey, and I think I, I actually, I think there was, when we were talking about simulation, our guest had talked about that. There was a specific case where we're going to have, we're going to have a difficult conversation. Yeah. We're going to prime you. You're going to know what's going to happen. The patient is going to get bad news or this patient's going to, yeah. it's going to pass away, but we're going to prep you. They were grading them on effective yes. things versus psychomotor skills. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I remember that. Just getting that practice in there and just and, and, and getting used to and having those reps and getting those reps in yep. to, to say, all right, I'm, let, me, let me be in this space right now and then not put my foot like what not to do. Let me not put my foot in my mouth. Can I just have something to say that can, you know, that can move us forward within this conversation? That's a great point, Leo. Like palliative care or hospice situation was would be perfect for like a simulation experience to, for students to practice those conversations. But Chris, I know you also are very passionate about oncology rehab and you founded the oncology residency where you are. So can you share with us a little bit about like oncology rehab? Why don't more people know about it or go into that field? And how is it growing and developing right now? It is. It's really growing and developing. We've got some exciting things in the academy. We actually just published entry-level guidelines for, for cancer oh, patients. Nice. So, so every 
physical therapist who is coming out of PT school, kind of what they really should know as a new grad. And then we do have kind of that ever proliferating group of residencies, really kind of for specialization purposes to really kind of give them a pathway toward becoming a board certified specialist. So, you know, the, the one that, that, that I founded really is both half outpatient and half inpatient. So it really does kind of cover the entire spectrum. Even if a resident is going to be, you know, an outpatient lymphedema therapist at some point or a pelvic floor specialist or a peds oncology specialist, I, we still made sure that it's really, really important for them to understand the inpatient and acute care end of things, because a lot of these patients will bring some of their acute care issues into the outpatient end. So the chemotherapy medications, low lab values being um, off, you know, patients with oncology diagnoses, all we almost always have low hemoglobin, low platelets and or low white blood count. Um, the other one that we didn't spend a whole lot of time talking about, we spent a lot of time talking about in the residency is bone metastasis. Um, and if you're working with the oncology population, especially with those with advanced disease, you know, kind of a lot of people are, are mm-hmm. just like DVT is afraid of bone metastasis. Um, and it really is something where if we're doing our job right, it's not an on off switch. Oh, they have bone metastases. I can't see them. If they don't have bone metastases, I can see them. It's a little bit more like a diverse, you know, we have to find out some of the extent of the metastases, work with the care team, sometimes even review some of the imaging with some of the, the, um, different scales that they have. So we really understand and can collaborate with the whole care team, um, because some of the early research is really showing that people with bone metastases, say of their femurs or long bones, weight bearing actually helps to slow down bone yeah. loss, which we mm. know in other Right. Ways. Yeah, so makes we sense. Think about it. So it's really the oncology residency really kind of try to navigate some of those medically complex situations. So it sounds like everyone should check out this new publication. Maybe we can put a link to it in our show notes. But I remember I col- I covered the oncology floor every now and then, and BOMET scared me too, like not knowing enough about it. But I remember, I don't know why this sticks out in my brain always. There was like an acronym they taught me about BLT and the side of pickle or something yeah. like that to remember which cancers could have bone mats and to make sure you check for it in the chart. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's great, Chris, is just hearing you, you know, you, you speaking about palliative care and then also uh, hearing you talk about working with oncology patients, that interdisciplinary team and communication is really important. And so teamwork makes the dream work. So speaking about teams, I do want to allude to, you've had some team experiences with different sports I hear in the past. Is that correct? With the, is it hockey? Is hockey yeah, your yeah, sports? I'm, I'm a fairly avid, but fairly poor hockey player <laughs> pretty much every Wednesday. Although I will admit when I have to work on Thursdays, you know, that's the hard part about being in the, in the worst old man league, <laughs> like the 1030 or 1130 start time. So I'm not crawling into bed until one o'clock. And then if I have to go to the hospital the next day and be there at 7am an adult, it is really hard. So, you know, 1030 is my cutoff, but yeah, I usually play, I usually play left wing. You know, our teams won a couple of championships. Oh, congrats. That's awesome. That doesn't sound like you're that bad. (laughs) No, I just throw myself with good team members, which I guess is a good analogy for palliative care. Yes, yes. Well, someone may have wanted to know the best Red Wing of all time, in your opinion. Oh, well, I gotta say Gordy Howe. (laughs) Okay, I'm just gonna say, I have no idea what I just asked or what you just answered, but I asked it for Ed. 
Yep. Edward Mathis, our producer, one of our co-producers, wanted to wanted to know. We're also from Michigan. Boy Scout got his own hat trick. His hat trick is one goal, one assist, and then one fight. Every very old school hockey. And then hat trick is what? Hat trick is usually three goals in one game for a player. From the same person. From the same person. Oh, okay. How hat trick is goal assist and punching somebody. <laughs> it sounds like it's the same as soccer because they had those in soccer too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very cool. I think it uh, is time, Ashley, for our rapid responses. First, I think you know, it is. Do you know how our rapid response round goes? A little bit. Let's give it a go. <laughs> All right. We're going to set up the timer here. All right. I'm ready. All right. Uh, All right. Question. And go. Chris, what is your most favorite scrub color? Purple. Purple. Nice. Royalty. Are you a morning person or a night owl? Definitely morning person. Shoes you would recommend to wear on acute care? Something cheap so you don't have to scoop poop out of them. <laughs> Fantastic. Best Halloween costume ever? Ooh, I would say a Jedi Knight. <laughs> Ed will like that one too. Awesome. Any fond memories of things that you've done with your department for PT Month? For PT Month, we, for a while, we always did a softball game. And that was always one of my favorite things. It's October. Things are getting a little bit chilly. But, you know, just getting everyone out there and doing something non-PT related. Fantastic. Favorite fall activity? Mm -hmm. I would say, unfortunately for my waistline, it's going to be visiting the cider mill and, and getting some cider. <laughs> Love it. Mm, awesome. Is a hot dog considered a sandwich? Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, a hot dog's a hot dog. All right. It's all the Well, that's a dangerous rapid response. <laughs> What's your favorite way to exercise? Well, I'd say hot. Yeah. Makes sense. Fantastic. Favorite dessert to eat? It's not really a dessert, but again, according to my waistline, potato chips are my mm. favorite dessert. Cool. What book would you recommend? Ooh, all right. I'm going to be a little bit PC on this one and say Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. Fantastic book. Uh, any podcast recommendations for an acute care therapist? Oh, the, if you want to get more into oncology, there is an oncology podcast. So I, I want to say it's called you can look up Oncology Podcast. Okay. That's awesome. And if you think of it, you can email us. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But that is our time. So you have to answer the last one. Fill in the blank. You know you work in acute care when? When you know what it means when someone has different scrub colors on the top and the bottom. <laughs> Everyone knows the secret signal of, oh, yeah, they're wearing purple pop and they've got green bottles. That's, That's so true, though. Oh my gosh. Wait, how was your morning? <laughs> you don't even have to ask. You just what say, color oh, color color you have this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Chris, is there any place, you know, in social media wise, do you have any uh, places that people can reach out to you? Email, yeah. Instagram, anything like that? Yeah. I'm C. Wilson DPT on Twitter. I refuse to call it X because that's silly. That's um, weird, that right? It's so weird. Yeah. The other thing is, is that we're working on a new palliative rehabilitation organization. So if you go to palliativerehab.com, it's an interdisciplinary group of PTs, OTs, speech language pathology, music therapists, physicians, nurses, everyone just to kind of advance palliative rehab. So if you want to learn a little bit more and get some resources, you can visit palliativerehab.com. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was really great. This was a lot of fun, guys. Thanks for the invite. Thank you, Chris. We would like to thank Chris for joining us today. Acute 
Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Max. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. Sound effects also from Pixabay. For more information about APT Acute Care, be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with me, Edward Mathis, about service and self-care. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today. I learned what a hat trick is. I don't know. What do you, George, what do we say? The hockey hat trick. The hockey hat trick. Okay. The hockey hat trick. I like it.